3: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'd be one of my friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put this whole thing in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CNBC, or tweet me. At Jim Cramer, these red hot IPOs are killing us. We won't escape the savage tech sell off until investors realize that they just can't keep overpaying for new merchandise like Snowflake and every other deal this week. Because when they pay up for these new stocks, they have to sell something else, which I think is why we had another bad day. Dow dropped 245 points. S&P fell 1.12%, and the Nasdaq lost 1.07%, but at least it bounced from the lowest level, so some of the selling seemed to end. Yep, once again, we're reminded that the stock market is first and foremost a market, and markets are governed by supply and demand. Right now, the supply of new stock is overwhelming demand, so the whole market just gets hammered. Unless you've traded for a living, you might not realize how this works. When a money manager decides they want a piece of the latest rocket ship IPO, and today it was a company called Unity Software, a video game play, and they don't have the spare cash lying around, well, what do they do? How do they get that piece? Well, easy. They sell companies. Sell, 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 yes, they sell the stock in companies that kind of look like Unity, companies that they probably don't even understand anyway. Why not? See, if you got a stock on the deal and you flip it, buy, buy, sell, buy, sell, sell, sell. Well, that's free money. Free big profits and you got to take free money when Wall Street's giving it to you. Unity came public at $52. So if you got some at $52 in the deal, it then soared to $75 where you can ka-ching, ka-ching. Many hedge funds did just flip the stock for big free gains. But some mutual and hedge funds will actually want to build positions, and they didn't get enough shares in the IPO to move the needle. So they have to buy more in the aftermarket. Otherwise, there's no point in owning this thing, which means they have to sell even more stock to pay for their next tranche of Unity. So maybe they dropped some Adobe or some NVIDIA or Salesforce, or as they saw it pretty much in the morning and, a- and mid-afternoon, they started selling the Fang names or Microsoft to get that position rounded out. Now, if you thought Unity would only up open up 10 to say, 20%, which was still expensive? Well, you didn't budget for a 44% spike, and that's what triggers the additional selling. They needed to dump something else to raise the extra cash, and the easiest thing to do was to sell the larger stocks where the selling would not knock it down too much, unlike the smaller ones. To put it another way, this market's like an ailing retailer that's stuck with way too much inventory. There's no place to put it now that all this new merchandise is coming in, so prices get cut, and they get cut, and they get cut again until they're low enough to entice the buyers back. We're not there yet. Although, again, I was happy to see some of the smaller software companies that I like rally into the close. Maybe the selling on those is done. We'll know next week. Of course, it's not all about oversupply. There's the backdrop, too. The backdrop's not great. It's a backdrop where the president of the United States wants to keep cracking down on China. And he's doing it by threatening to shut. TikTok, uh, which is an incredibly popular uh, app in America, especially among younger people, not me. Although I have it on my I have it on my cell phone. Now, he's talking about banning new downloads this weekend and shutting it down permanently less than two months. We thought we'd solve this problem when Oracle agreed to partner with them in some kind of coalition with Walmart, but it turns out the president kind of changed move. He moved the goalposts. It, it wasn't enough. Uh, he still says TikTok's a security risk unless a coalition of American companies buys the entire thing away from the Chinese. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be in the cards, and the, uh, the buyers, the Walmarts, Oracles, and the private equity feel like they're really giving away the store to get this thing, and the president's still not pleased, which is why our game plan has to start with TikTok. See, because we need—if you're a bull—that is, we need, if you're bull, that is, uh, we need this, this this resolution and this deal to be happened, And we are in a deal or no deal situation. If Oracle and Walmart can reach a deal with the White House this weekend, seems unlikely right now. Then that would give this market a major boost. And we need a boost with all the carnage caused by the IPO deluge. Sometimes I feel like this deal will, will occur. If the president thinks the market's going to keep going down, he wants to stop it. Look, I know it seems crazy that a few big deals could destroy so much value in the rest of the market, but you have to understand that we've been through this IPO cycle before. you got to go back to 2014. It was then that we had a ton of cloud deals, and it triggered a hideous sell-off, somewhat like what we're getting now in the already existing cloud names. It turned out to be a fabulous buying opportunity, but you had to absorb some pain. At this moment, the investment banks are practically giving away free money all over the place. Look at the first day spikes in Snowflake, JFrog, Amwell, Unity. Of course, money managers want a piece of that. No one turns down the free money you get from a pop of some of these red-hot deals if you can get them. But to buy something new, they did indeed have to sell something old. Eventually, Wall Street will run out of quality merchandise that comes public. And we're going to get a bunch of garbage IPOs that don't go to a premium at all. But we're not there yet. We might get there soon, though, because if you're worried about a Biden administration raising taxes on capital gains, we've got a big incentive to come public this year rather than next year. They can always do retrospective. Remember, they can always claw it back. Uh, Tuesday, we hear from a company I have liked since we started the show. It's a company called AutoZone, and we also get from uh, Nike. Both these companies have seen their estimates get boosted and boosted and boosted in the last few weeks. Ordinarily, I'd say, look out, these new numbers are already baked in. However, the sell-off this week has given you a terrific buying opportunity. Nike's crushing it all over the globe. My Chapel Trust picks them up with a terrific direct-to-consumer business that has big margins. As for AutoZone, the average car on the road just keeps getting older and older, which means they need more maintenance. I recommend buying some before and after AutoZone, uh, the stock tends to have a quick dip down after it reports, and then the conference call, and then everybody's happy again. Tuesday afternoon, we get results from KB Home. I, th- I think the numbers are going to be fabulous, like we've seen from the other home builders. but when Lenar reported, remember we had uh, Stuart Miller on this week, uh, or earlier this week, when, he, when Lenar reported, the numbers were spectacular, but its stock still got dinged at first before roaring the next day after analysts raised their estimates. I bet the same thing thing happened with D.R. Horton. So I think you're probably going to see the same pattern with KB Homes. General Mills reports on Wednesday morning. While this one's a household name, the defensive stocks have been tough to own lately because investors have no interest in them when the industrial part of the economy is heating up. Remember what we saw from Campbell's last night? Great situation, but people aren't interested. Honestly, I think you could do a lot worse than buying Campbell's or General Mills. It's got 3.4% yield, especially since it's got faster growth than most uh, consumer packaged goods plays. Love that. Blue buffalo pet food. Well, Marley loves it. I, I don't really care for it myself. Thursday's big, and big in a good way. In the morning, we hear from Accenture. Don't try to put in the symbol of Accenture, ACN, because it always spell checks it to C-A-N. Uh, needless fact, J-Bill, CarMax, and Darden. I like all four. Accenture helps big companies digitize. We know that business is on fire. j is a contract manufacturer that helps make devices of, for all sorts of electronic companies, including Apple, well, I wish I were in that business. CarMax sells used cars, and there's a developing used car shortage. I'm going to be working that all next week. Finally, there's Darden, the parent of Olive Garden, which is caught upgrade after upgrade. Why? Well, it's a sad story. It's because mom and pop competitors keep dropping like flies. Darden can survive the age of social distancing among tables. Most of its rivals can, and when it gets cold, that outside dining, mm after the close, Kramer Fave Costco reports. They've consistently delivered amazing numbers, but they're usually baked into the stock price. So it often goes down after the quarter, even as it tends to outperform pretty much everyone else in its class. If you don't own it already, I suggest waiting before you buy more. Secretly, I'm hoping for a special dividend, but it's no longer a secret because I just said it. Finally, on Friday, we get durable goods orders, and I think you're going to begin to see in aggregate what the FedExes and the Union Pacifics have been saying and so many other transport, too. There is a boom in some cargos that are made in the United States. If the number's too strong, a bunch of commentators will come on air and argue that the Fed has to change its stripes and start talking about eventually raising interest rates. Those people will be dead wrong, as usual, but Jimmy Chill has nothing more bad to say about them. The boom is limited to goods, not services, and the United States is still a service economy. Anyone who's worried about inflation right now is... Out of their mind, and if we get a strong durable goods number, and somebody says we don't need a stimulus, well, they're going to have to answer to me. Which doesn't really mean anything, but I just felt like saying it. Bottom line: all the great earnings in the world won't save this Humpty Dumpty market if we keep getting slammed by people selling good to buy the smoking hot hundred times sales IPOs. I think we'll keep turning lower until the deals slow down, or the big institutional money managers finally lose interest and go back to stocks that they shouldn't have sold to begin with. Gregory in California. Gregory, hi Jim. It's Friday. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for a margarita. Oh, really? I was thinking about a mezcal margarita, but that's all right. We're all in the same boat. What's up?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's just listen. Great club call on Wednesday. You and Jeff really cover so much on those calls. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You got it. So I have a position in Norton LifeLock, uh, being a good club member that I am, and I'm holding it for the long term, but I'm looking at another side of security stock for a short-term trade. They reported great earnings about a month ago, and then they just sold off afterwards. But they just announced a really cool acquisition of the Crypsis Group. The company I'm talking about, of course, is Palo Alto Network. I, I, I listened to Cash think-
3: yesterday, the CEO. I mean, the Cash is just, he's money. He's terrific. He's got a great vision. They do on-prem, but most importantly, they really got big in the cloud with some acquisitions. I like it. By the way, Norton LifeLock is a position I'm trying to build up huge for Action Alerts. Uh, it, it's at $20.87. I'd like to make this a 5% position. That's how good I feel about it. Let's go to Mamoon in Virginia. Mamoon. Hey, Jim, how are you? I am great. How about you? Thank you for
4: taking my call. Uh, of, course. of course. Of course. A question for you is about the retail industry right now, the way things are going. I have some investment to it and wanted to know the potential future for Macy's. Is okay, so guy, Macy's is a challenge sell, company.
3: Or- Macy's is a challenge company, but you know what? Let's say you thought there's going to be a vaccine and the dollar's going to keep getting weaker. This might be the one. This might be the spec that you need, but you've got to believe in both those things before you can buy the stock. But then again, I mean, stranger things have happened. Look, the market is all about supply and demand. And right now, these red-hot IPOs are just hurting it because people want to sell anything to get in. It won't always be like that, though, and then stocks will settle down. Soon, maybe not yet. All oh, man, tonight, the CEO of Splunk has some advice for the new guard of data companies like Snowflake and Sumo Logic, and you're going to feel better knowing about how big data fits in. I've got the exclusive. Then another day, another IPO moving higher in its market debut. Don't miss my take on the latest company to take the tape by, well, it's by the tail. And it's unity after its first day of trading. And I'm sitting down with a private company that's trying to save local pizzerias from what I regard as exorbitant delivery costs. Stay with Kramer.
5: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact.
1: Visibility at indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need indeed.
3: Now that we've been through what I call IPO Hell Week, it's worth taking a closer look at what exactly made the snowflake deal so enticing. Sure, it's got a triple-digit growth rate, but we've seen that semi-regularly, and we haven't seen a triple-digit price-to-sales ratio in roughly 20 years. I think a big part of it is that Snowflake's not just another cloud-based software stock. It's also a play on big data the first major big data IPO in a very long time. We know big data is the future. There's always going to be demand for companies that can help glean insights from the massive volumes of digital information that we create every single day. So tonight I've got to Zoom in, and no, not zoom, zoom video, but actual Zoom in on the big data story with another company that I think can really help us. A company called Splunk, one of our cloud kings, is arguably the original publicly traded big data stock. It came public way back in 2012. Splunk's been hammered the past couple of weeks like so many other stocks, in part those money managers have been using it as what we call a source of funds to pay for Snowflake and these other software IPOs. Maybe one day that'll end, but that's going on. It's good to see some of those, by the way, bottom today, at least at the end of the day. So let's check in with Doug Murray. He's the president and CEO of Splunk to get a better sense of the big data space going forward. Doug, welcome back to Mad Money.
2: Thank you, Jim. Always good to be here.
3: All right, so Doug, you have helped our viewers for years. To explain the concept of why big data is so compelling, it is one of, not just one of, I say, because you also do great security stuff, but one of the chief attractions of Splunk. And people are saying, why does anyone care about big data this much? So I'm going to give you the floor to explain why a Splunk, but of course a snowflake, is so popular. It's uh, As you
2: called out so early, Jim, on these cloud kings, I think you probably got the opportunity to talk about the data or big data kings coming uh, up as well. Um, We are lucky enough, uh, like Snowflake and others, uh, and by the way, we're a customer of Snowflake. We love using their products. They're a wonderful data warehouse that complements what Splunk does uh, on more uh, real-time time time series streaming data and and very complex big data. Uh, But everything in the world, as we've talked about, has got a sensor attached to it now. And almost everything has got some type of Wi-Fi or network connection. And there is a ton of data, literally tons of data that is flying around the stratosphere around us at a given moment. The difficulty is being able to capture that data and then begin to make sense of it so that you can serve customers more effectively. You can reduce costs, you can optimize your supply chain, you can hear signals from your employee base, all the different capabilities that if you uh, understand big data and cloud certainly helps dramatically there, uh, you can actually drive society forward Uh, At Splunk, we call it turning data into action, uh, bringing data to every question, every decision, and ultimately every action so that we can keep our organizations and society moving forward.
3: Okay, so Doug, uh, is there a limit though? I mean, mean, there's so many companies that look and sound like each other, uh, and and we know that data is very important. You know that we're close to dominoes. And there's a great video. Uh, on your site about Domino's and how it's uh, how great you are important to a technology company that happens to sell pizza. But at a certain point, will everybody have someone who defines data and looks through data and sits through data and splunks through data and we won't need any more of these companies? Um, I, I think that uh, the first trend,
2: absolutely. I think every company is going to need a data czar, a data leader, a chief data officer uh, over time. Their whole point of digitization, a number of points. One of the big points of digitization is you now get a, t- a bunch of data you didn't have before so that you can actually begin to act in near real time on all these different signals. That needs somebody that understands data and guides data across an organization. The, the, that, that pull from corporations is what pulls companies like Splunk and others forward to help the, the The technical population within those organizations actually make sense of data for the marketing department, the sales department, the HR department, the finance department, uh, people that are leaning much more heavily on data gathering, data science and making sense of data.
3: All right. So for Carnival, we we know that that company is loaded with technology. One of the things they did, we can't cruise right now, but we'll be cruising again. Uh, is they'll have uh, something that's on you, that you carry, that basically they know everything about you. Uh, how do they make money for for Carnival shareholders and also make it a better experience?
2: Yeah, and that is the core of, of their whole data strategy is let's reduce costs so that we're much more thoughtful about when we provision supplies. And let's at the same time increase the customer experience, enhance the customer experience. so that we can anticipate their needs. We can pop up both physical and digital services in a just-in-time basis so that their cruise experience is unparalleled and people, I agree, they they will go back on the water at a certain certain point in time um, and they are going to want an even more extreme and beneficial experience um, given everything that we've just been through. And data is at the core of both the customer experience piece as well as driving more efficiency and effectiveness across their
3: fleet. One last question. Uh, Is there no end to the number of deals, Doug? Because as a person who looks at stock, I'm thinking, all right, we are getting deal after deal in this space and it's starting to wear buyers down. Is the pipeline filled with big data companies or are we kind of uh, seeing the big ones? You know, I, I think yeah, uh, there's certainly a lot of people that
2: are trying to do different things within the data realm. Um, what something like Splunk has an advantage around is we've been in business for 15 years. Uh, we're just nosing up to $2 billion of annual recurring revenue. As we talked about on the last show, that's the, our growth rate, over 50% of ARR at 2 billion, makes us the fastest growing company at that size in the enterprise software mm-hmm. arena. And there are economies of scale that come from an organization that's willing to invest across the data spectrum. We've invested in streaming technology, storage and indexing technology, search technology, machine learning, AR, VR, solutions on top. Um, And I think organizations that that we're talking to are looking for a little bit of flight to safety. I want an organization that I can trust, that is able to serve a broad range of my data needs. Um, And I think most of these markets go to the early winners and the super high growth companies. Uh, And and there will probably always be pressure for people that need funding and need to push their Mm -hmm. companies forward. Uh, But I like the position that someone like Splunk is in to effectively serve our customers in this critical need. All
3: right. Well, look, thank you for explaining this to us. You know that there are a lot of people buying stocks. They don't know why they're buying, Doug. They don't know what they do. Thank you for that primer. And we know that we've liked Splunk for many, many years. Always good to talk to you. The same, Tim. Thank you for having me on Now, that's Doug Murr, President and CEO of Splunk. And again, one of the stocks that I think has been hurt by the fact that people are selling some software companies in order to buy others like Snowflake. And eventually it ends, but it hasn't ended yet. Mad Money's back here.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open, midday, and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Today we got another red hot Sizzling Tech IPO. This one was called Unity Software, which helps video game developers create content. After a week of insanely lucrative deals, well, this one followed the same script. Unity priced at 52, substantially higher than the already raised price range, then opened at 75, before pulling back a bit to 68 and change. Not exactly another snowflake, but still a huge success. Unfortunately, Unity's following the same script as every other deal this week from Snowflake to JFrog to Amwell. It's a good company with a stock that's way too expensive at these levels for people who watch have Money. Still, I think it's worth going over in more detail because sooner or later, the stock's going to pull back and I want you to be prepared to buy some if it gets to more palatable valuation because I like it very much. So what exactly does Unity do and why were money managers willing to bid the stock up to, say, 30% premium today? Well, technically, it's not just a video game play. Unity is a popular platform for creating and operating interactive real-time 3D content. They've got exposure to all sorts of lucrative end markets, architecture, engineering, and construction, media and entertainment, automotive, transportation, and manufacturing. But the big one right now is still gaming. Last year, 53% of the top 1,000 mobile games on the Apple Store and Google Play were made using this company, Unity, 53%. I know you never heard of it, but that's pretty staggering. When you look across mobile games, computer games, and console games, more than half of them use this platform, and that is huge, even if they tend to be concentrated in lower-budget, independent titles. You don't see many mega-blockbusters made with Unity, but that doesn't make it a bad business. The other operators in this industry are either privately held, like Epic Games, which makes the popular Unreal Engine, or they're in-house. For example, Take Two Interactive has their own engine for games like Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption. Unity's carved out a niche for itself in mobile and smaller international t- independent titles, rather than by going head to head against the big dogs. Now, outside of gaming, Unity's not unlike Adobe or Autodesk. It's sort of used like computer-aided design software. Fabulous business. Now, in each of In these industries, the company has two parallel business models. There's the subscription business where they charge you a monthly fee to use their development tools. And then if you make something using their engine, well, Unity can take a cut of the revenue. If you make one of these free-to-play mobile games that makes its money from advertising or in-game purchases, Unity's got you covered. According to management, when you add up all the industries they serve, the total addressable market could be worth $29 billion. About half of that's from the rapidly growing gaming business. The other half's from architecture, engineering, media, autos, and manufacturing. I know prosaic, but lucrative. How about the financials? Unity's more mature than some of the smoking hot uh, IPOs that we've been seeing in the software sector. Uh, It was founded way back in 2004, so it's old enough to drive. Last year, they had 42% revenue growth. Pretty amazing. Uh, in the, at least in the first half of 2020, came in at 39%, which is a strong number, but not the kind of uh, that typically gets you a stratospheric valuation. The company's dollar-based net expansion rate, that's the amount of business they're getting from existing customers, accelerated to 142% in the first half of the year, up from 133% in 2019. Now, that's great. They've seen a steady rise in the number of large customers doing more than $100,000 with of business with them, annually that is, and from under 500 in 2018 to over 700 in the first half of 2020. Again, it's great to have those businesses. How about profitability? Now, I've spent all week explaining that many of these newly public uh, tech plays don't need to be profitable, especially not when they're in turbo-charge growth mode, because it makes more sense for them to invest every penny they can get their hands on expanding the business. And that's what I want, for instance, from a Snowflake. But like I said before, Unity is a more mature company, so they're much closer to turning a profit from something like Snowflake. Their margins are absolutely heading in the right direction. The gross margin, what they make after subtracting the cost of goods sold, was up 400 basis points in the first half to nearly 80%. That's that's mind-blowing margins. It's a major reason for the IPO pop. Their operating margin, the percentage of sales that they keep as earnings before interest and taxes, was up almost 1,000 basis points to negative 6.4%. Very nice to see because it means they're closing in on profitability. What else? The bloodlines. The CEO used to run Electronic Arts, one of the big three game publishers. And it's backed by some very smart venture capital firms. Silver Lake, you often hear their name. Sequoia, they're really fabulous. And they still own more than a third of the business. So there's absolutely a price where I'd recommend Unity. It's not perfect, but it does have a lot going for it. But what is that price? Is it the $68.35 where the stock closed today? No, thank you. Consider that at $38, the midpoint of the original price range for the IPO, Unity was already being valued at $10 billion. At $52, the actual deal price was being valued at nearly $14 billion. When it opened today afternoon at $75, it was worth more than $20 billion. Closing in on the value of Unity's total addressable market, and I, I regard that as insane. At $68, it's closer to $18 billion. is a lot of value creation for a single session, isn't it? What does that mean in terms of valuation? OK, if we assume Unity can keep growing at a 39% clip, then you have to figure they can generate $753 million in revenue this year. So at the IPO price, it was already trading at 18 times sales. And if today's run, it's trading at 24 times sales. People can't pay that. It's incredibly expensive, even if it seems reasonable compared to something like a snowflake or even an Amwal, which we talked about last night. But that's a elite company. Not many stocks trade at more than 20 times sales. At these levels, Unity's got a similar valuation to some of the hottest cloud stocks around there. Zscaler, Viva Systems, CloudFair, the Trade Desk. While Unity's definitely a good company, I I don't think it's Zscaler good. It's not CloudFair good either, and it's not 24 times sales good. I know you probably think I'm dumping on it. It's just that price matters so much to me because I've been in the business for a long time, and if you get the wrong price for a good company, it doesn't matter. You can lose money. If you want a sky-high valuation in the software space, you either need ultra-fast revenue growth or you need substantial earnings. Unity's simply not at that level. Again, not knocking Unity. I'm knocking Unity's price. Now, there's a rule of thumb we have for software as a service industry. It's called the rule of 40. You take the revenue growth, and then you add the operating margin. And if the sum is above 40, then the company passes the test that we like on mad money. Unity flunks the rule of 40 tests. It's going at a 39% clip with a negative 6.4% operating margin. If they can maintain the current growth rate and generate some positive earnings before interest and taxes, then I'd be willing to bless paying up for this one, but they're not there yet. For now, I I can't get behind Unity at 24-time sales or even 18-time sales where it came public this morning. There are software-as-a-service companies with better numbers and cheaper stocks that are more seasoned with terrific people running them. Again, I want to like this one. Unity's carved out a terrific niche for itself in the video game space. It's a way to play the industry as a whole without betting on specific titles, especially the less glamorous but much faster-growing mobile game space. Rather than going head-to-head against the big dogs, Unity's taking massive market share with smaller, independent game studios that don't want to pay up for licensed, fancier engines from the competition. And there's some real opportunity beyond gaming, which I like. But the bottom line, like all the other red-hot IPOs we've seen this week, you need to let Unity cool down before you even think about touching it. I consider this one enticing around $50 or maybe less. I know that's a turnoff for some of you, but you know what? I think patience is a virtue. Victor in Texas, Victor. Booyah
0: from Austin, Texas,
3: Jim. Hey, how you been?
0: Doing good, thank you. I'm a loyal listener of yours, both on Squad on the Street in the mornings as well as Mad Money. So thanks for all the advice. Good. Hey, today I'm calling about Big C, Big Commerce. It has a valuation of 40 times revenue, but offers a lower entry point when compared to other e-commerce companies like Shopify. So I want to know what's your take on it? And should I hold my position, buy more
3: on the dip, or move on? Um, I think you're going to have to wait. If you want to buy more, you're going to have to wait until it's lower. This is one that we looked at that is growing. It's, again, in that cohort that we've said is growing uh, fast, but not fast enough to equal the price-to-sales mark. So uh, I, I thank you for the kind words, but we're not big commerce buddies here. Let's go to Rick in Florida, please. Rick. Booyah, Dr. Kramer. Booyah. Thanks to you, I was able to retire at 58. Holy cow, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Go ahead. Now, you want my stock? Yes, I was just doing a little clapping there. What's going on? Take two interactive. Well, I like Take-Two. My travel trust owns it, and we think that it's a great company. We uh, bought it around, uh, lower. We did sell some a little bit, let some go because it's such a big move. But we're holding on to the rest, and I think you've got a real winner with Take-Two and Strauss-Zelnick. How about Jody in Arizona? Jody. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Jody. Since I'm retiring, I am a new investor
0: and have allowed myself to play with about $2,000 as I learn the stock market. Okay. I bought I G T about eighteen months ago at sixteen fifty, bought more on its way down, and then it hit three seventy five, so I chose to hold it versus sell at such a loss. I see Penn and DraftKings starting to come back. So although I G T is a different type of company, from what I understand there's a little overlap with sports betting. What are your thoughts on IGT?
3: Um You know, it's still a casino. It needs casino uh, orders. I'm going to have to tell you, uh, Jody, I know uh, I don't. Look, you wrote it down. That was great. You didn't sell it lower. But again, I don't see the real value to owning that stock. I, I feel so bad here, guys. I've been saying so many negative things about stocks, but not about companies. You have to understand that. It's not about the companies. About the stocks another day another red hot tech IPO let this unity cool off before you even think about buying sure it can still go up but the risk reward's not great much more man money had independent pizza operators on slice an online private ordering marketplace have doubled their weekly sales during COVID I'm gonna sit down with the CEO to find out more about the trend then how the post snowflake hangover is putting easy to understand stocks back on the map And order calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. If you run a restaurant, you need to go digital if you want to survive the COVID-19 economy. But there's a catch. You know, the big delivery apps like a Grubhub, DoorDash, they take a huge cut of your business, especially if you've got a smaller independent restaurant like my small plate Mexican place in in Brooklyn, Bar San Miguel. Even before the pandemic, these third party delivery companies charged an arm and a leg. Now that takeout and delivery are the only game in town, their sky high fees are going to put a ton of struggling restaurants, which you can't afford for the darn rent, put them out of business. For once, though, I've got some good news on this front. I'm talking about Slice, a privately held startup with a platform that lets people order custom pizza delivery from independent pizzerias, and they charge a much more reasonable fee, just $1.95 per order. Meanwhile, they also help their partners digitize their whole business, everything from creating a website to search engine optimization, so they can better compete against the big national players. Yesterday, Slice took this model one step further. They launched an incubator program that'll provide $15,000 with the technology and services to all to 100 independent pizzerias with the goal of helping them stay afloat, thank heavens. So let's take a closer look with Ilir Sela, the founder and CEO of Slice, to get a better sense of how his company's doing and how it's going to shake up the industry.
4: Major Sela, welcome to Mad Money. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Jim. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat. And well, hopefully, at the end of this program, you're, you're switching from Domino's to local. Well, look, I got to tell you this. But I heard about
3: your company. I said, yeah, this is the uh, restaurateur's dream and the pizzeria's dream because the other guys can take as much as 30 percent. And when they take that much, if you paid your labor and uh, electric and insurance and rent,
4: you don't have anything. What's your secret? Um, We take a look. We take a real. A merchant-friendly approach uh, because we really believe in in the power of small business uh, and the American dream. I am third generation in the pizza industry. My family's uh, a, a ton of entrepreneurs who mostly opened up small business pizzerias. And really, the goal for us was to make sure that as digital becomes an important component of their business, that it doesn't cannibalize the actual uh, the actual location. So we take a digital first approach in a way that means we want to make sure that 70, 80% of the volume for these pizzerias is digital, very comparable to Domino's and Papa John's and other big chains. And in order to do that, you have to take a long-term view and you've got to take a merchant-friendly view around loyalty, around online ordering for most of the orders. And obviously, in order to do that, We've got to run the playbook. We've got to lead the digital transformation of these small businesses. Okay, But, sir, uh, I think that
3: if someone from Grubhub were here, uh, uh, Uber Eats, I think they would say that you don't have a viable model because nobody will work for that
4: low a price. Oh, we are actually an all-in-one platform where we partner with the small business in order to digitize their operation, but we are actually not a logistics company ourselves. We empower small businesses to have what we call first-party delivery, you know, in a way that's been done forever. Small business pizzerias have delivered across the entire country for decades, and they've made it work incredibly well. But the reality is that In the world of COVID and as we go into the 2020s, all these pizzerias really need to digitize their platforms in order to become more efficient. So what we do is we bring technology and marketing and we enable the existing operation of the pizzeria and we make it more efficient and we make it really powerful and valuable. All right. So how about tell us
3: about Slice Accelerate, which sounds to me like uh, you're going to be uh, making so 100 independent pizzerias are going to succeed.
4: We are so excited about Slice Accelerate. It is our first cohort. Uh, We're gonna welcome 100 small business pizza restaurants around the country into this program where we will invest $15,000 in order to accelerate the digital transformation of these businesses, but really partner very closely with the operators to make sure that they're getting help around technology, including in-store and operational uh, efficiency type of technology like a point of sale, the front-end solution for the consumer, highlighting them in our in our platform on our, in our marketplace on the Slice app, and then continue to empower them with services and solutions. Because the goal here isn't just to provide the tools. The reality is that these are micro businesses, and the owners are literally doing a hundred different things every single day, and the, and and all of the responsibilities fall on their shoulders. My uncle ran a pizza shop first in the 70s and most recently in the 2000s. And I saw firsthand exactly what he had to deal with in order to, to stay afloat. Um, and so what we do is we want to bring in this investment and we want to make local entrepreneurs feel incredibly special and great about their, their craft, but also put them in a position of strength so that they don't have to worry about the business side of things and the marketing side of things.
3: Well, look, I, what you're doing is so important. As we all know, uh, the small business restaurants are, are being wiped out. And I think that Slice is making it so some will survive. So thank you for what you're doing for small business people, sir. Thank you so much, Jim. Okay, that's Lear Sala, the founder and CEO of Slice. No, it's not a charity or good deed doer. It's a business. It's just not publicly traded yet. May have money back in. It is time! Are you ready, skiing days of the light round papers? Let's start with Steve in Georgia. Steve! Hey, Jim, big booyah from Atlanta in the great state of Ohio. Home Monster of booyah back, back at, you. at you. Monster booyah, what's up? So, so my brother Scott and I got into this stock about seven years ago, around $70 a share, and we've written
2: it all the way down to $5.40. I'm still convinced this 3D print market is
3: attractive, but I'm afraid the stock's worse than my Cleveland Browns, the company's 3D systems, DDD. The Cleveland Browns? I had cream Honey gave me 24 last night. And hey, jumped did well, too. They're both better than that stock that you have, my friend. Uh, As a matter of fact, number five is a stock that I don't really care for. I think you can own that, but it ain't going to make more than a dollar or two, so you be the judge. Now we're going to go to Jason in Arizona. Jason. Yo, Jimmy chill. Chil man in the house. Jason the Cobra from Phoenix. Hey, look, I've got some puts in Cracker Barrel, and with the virus at play, and considering millennials do not want to eat there, What do you think about the stock and the future of Cracker Barrel? Well, I I am, I believe it right now, there's not a lot of travel going on, and that's where Cracker Barrel really makes a lot of money, so I'm not that interested in it. I did it one time when I was 40 pounds heavier. Love that. I used to have this apple pie with ice cream and a slice of cheese on it. I got to tell you, man, that was my kind of appetizer. But right now, I'm staying away. Let's go to Brandon in Maryland. Brandon. Big Booyah Jimmy Chill coming (laughs) straight from High School, Maryland. Now I wanna say thank you for everything that you do for guiding us through, you know, this market and everything. Thank you. And I also wanna say thank you for getting us on the show and hopefully you get them in again now that TCH deal is over. Maybe. Hopefully. What's up? Which stop? All right, so Back in 2016, I used to work for uh, the company Hollister, and of course, it's under Abercrombie and Finch. Now, they had their whole scanner situation where they're switching out and getting a new tech in, and it led me to this company that I ended up investing in, in uh, for $50 at that time, and now it's currently sitting at $256 uh, at that. And so I want to get your thoughts on... Zebra Technologies, stock ticker ZBRA. I think that uh, companies I remember, like is a, Z- a symbol, a symbol technology, really just didn't have much going. This Zebra, which is now one of those companies that people are selling in order to buy new IPOs, is a great company, and I think as it comes down, you can accumulate it. But at the same time, since you got a fifty dollars basis, you should take some of your money out and just let the rest, let let the house money run. I want to go to Leon in California, Leon. Hey, Jim. Uh, So I want to get your wisdom on this company that I've been holding since about $7. The company is Plug Power, ticker P-L-U-G. Oh, I I like Plug. They came on, and I had been a, a naysayer for a very long time. And they came on and talked about these acquisitions they made, and I think the acquisitions are excellent. I would not have liked it if it weren't for the acquisitions. They made it exciting for me. Let's go to Amin in Washington. Amin. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah. My dad and I have been watching your show for years. We love you, man. Ah, oh, thank um, you. To I like your dad too. about Nokia stock. What are yeah, we're thoughts? not fires of Nokia because they have a they have a product that's expensive and not as good as some others. And that was you know, Who would ever do that? Would you ever buy a company? Would you ever buy a product that's more expensive than another product and the company's not as good? No, you wouldn't. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The
5: lightning round. Is sponsored by T. G. Ameritrade.
3: Welcome to the rotation. All right, it's another bad day for the averages, but it was especially bad for the high-flying tech stocks that this market absolutely adored for months and months. Right now, they're being dumped in favor of the low cyclicals. And you got to wonder if this rotation is for real, or is it just a temporary reaction to seeing people overpay for all these cloud IPOs? Classic example being Snowflake. When you see all the higher multiple stocks rolling over like this, the ones that are ridiculously expensive by any benchmark that you can think of, that doesn't just happen in isolation. Instead, the money flows into other areas of the market that are a lot cheaper and a lot easier to understand. Now, here's a good comparison. Take a look at the chart of any cloud or cloud-related stock. Now, what I'm first doing is picking the four best, okay? I mean, these are unbelievably great companies, right? And look what's happening. They're almost all behaving terribly lately. They peaked a couple of weeks ago, okay, right? When the whole market got body slammed, then they rebounded, but not quite back to their old highs. And now, now they're sinking again. Look at something like Ring Central, the cloud-based call center software play, which by the way, finally, finally by the way, had an update today. But look at that pasting. Or, or Zscaler, one of the favorite, I mean Zscaler is an amazing company, okay? Um, the cloud-based c- cybersecurity pantheon, it's there. These are both terrific. They're both integral to the stay-at-home economy story that we love so much. But that's all most of their shareholders know about them. That and the fact that their stocks tend to go higher. Now, they've stopped going higher now. Even though RingCentral and are each report great quarters, their stocks just don't seem to be able to gain any traction anymore. So these are not pretty charts. If we were doing off the charts, I'm sure our charts would say, don't touch any of these. Now, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to check out the action something. <laughs> this is incredible. Like Freeport McMoran. Now, this is a natural resources company. that mostly mines for copper and gold. This is a stock that's been lost in the wilderness for the better part of a decade. And then when COVID hit, well, of course, it immediately got cut in half. But lately, this thing's been roaring. It's got one of the prettiest charts in the entire chart book. Look how you would feel if you owned that stock. Why is it so good? Because Freeport's joined at the hip with China, the largest user of copper on Earth. When China's in expansion mode, like it sure is right now, Freeport's unstoppable. And right now, the Chinese economy is making an amazing comeback, much to the chagrin of people who say, thanks a lot. Now, it doesn't hurt that gold prices are roaring, too, and some Freeport is gold, so it's not just a pure copper play. The thing about Freeport is that unlike, say, uh, I don't know, Zendesk, uh, Z-Scale, whatever, it's very easy to understand. It's not widely owned, and it's darn cheap, especially if you think the earnings are headed higher. You think... Can you describe what RingCentral does? No, but you can describe what this company does. Right now, the people who own the high flyers are frightened. They bought these stocks because they wanted, say, cybersecurity or video conferencing, uh, work at home. And for months, the stock's delivered. But we've gotten to the point where we're seeing a wave of new cloud IPOs, like Snowflake, and money managers are dumping the old cloud place furiously so they can get a piece of these new hot deals. It's free money to them. Given how much the cloud names have run, they're all vulnerable to profit-taking, even up here. But Freeport? Freeport? Up 29%? But there aren't many holders who are desperate to preserve their profits in this one. Most of the shareholder base doesn't have any profits. In fact, the people who own this thing, they typically are brain-dead. I mean, if they didn't know how to sell it all the way up here, they don't care that it's finally coming back. And by the way, there aren't many publicly traded copper companies either, so there's a scarcity of these as opposed to a glut of cloud plays. Now, it has been a dog for so long that nobody cares, even as it's made a stunning comeback from the March lows. Didn't matter. This is one of the most cyclical stocks on Earth with a hideous balance sheet. Wall Street has no interest in Freeport unless China's booming. But now that that's happening, the balance sheet is much less of a liability thanks to ultra low interest rates. It's getting some real adherence. Put it all together, and I think the snowflake hangover has investors reaching for more than just Alka-Seltzer. They're reaching for previously down-and-out cyclicals like this one, like Freeport, which feels like a much safer bet at a time when the high-flying, hard-to-understand cloud stocks keep getting hit, getting pulverized by wave after wave after wave of profit-taking to put their money in hot deals so they can blow them out and stick them cramer. Okay, so we are nearing what I hope is a brief intermission in selling. Perhaps they'll stop bringing all these IPOs. And if we do that, maybe we can get our footing, because they're starting to sell some of the really great companies. You saw it this afternoon. If as long as there are these deals that get you big pops, though, the selling has to continue because it's called free money on Wall Street. And every hedge fund is going to go for it. And they're going to sell the Fangs. And they're going to sell the Microsoft. They're going to do everything they can to get as much free money as they're able to. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. La Shana Tavada. Happy New Year. I'm Jim Kramer. See you Monday.